Welcome to the Scottish Business Network podcast. Hello, I'm Fraser Allen from White Light Media. Welcome to episode 12. Most of the interviews in this series so far have taken place in hotels, in business meeting rooms or people's homes. But this episode took me somewhere I've never been before in any capacity, and that's a hospice. The Prince and Princess of Wales Hospice in Glasgow is seen as setting new standards in hospice care generally, with visitors from around the world coming to learn from its wonderful architecture, its innovative approach, its stunning setting in Bella Houston Park, and its warm and homely culture that makes you feel so welcome as soon as you arrive. CEO Rona Bailey says that while the hospice can obviously be a sad place, it is an environment where people come to live until they die, with the emphasis very much on living. Rona describes herself as the bird from the chippy because after a short and unhappy spell working in a bank when she left school, she worked in a chip shop in Glasgow for a couple of years before finding her vocation in nursing. She then also developed her talent for leadership, taking the hospice from its old location in central Glasgow to where it is now. Her story is a fascinating one. This podcast was created by White Light Media. Find out more about how we can help your business at whitelightmedia.co.uk. Rhoda Bailey, the yes. CEO of the, the Prince and Princess of Wales uh, Hospice in Glasgow. Um, perhaps we could start by, for those who are not aware of the story of the hospice, and you, you've been here for 13 years now, yeah. um, to give us the story of, of, of how the, hosp- of, uh, the history of the, of the hospice and yeah. where you are now. So the hospice is about 38-year-old this year, um, and it started off just as, as a vision of uh, Dr Anne Gilmer. Um, they were looking for a building in the city centre, uh, Glasgow. So they originally started off as a phone line, and then right. developed it into a day service, an inpatient unit, and it just went from their uh, home right. care team and into uh, uh, the traditional kind of hospice model. So yeah, 37 right. years ago, right. quite a long time. But now we're in this very modern building, so how did that, that all come yeah, about? So I started in the hospice about 13 years ago. I'm, I'm a palliative care and cancer nurse, and one of the, the first things I noted was that the building we were in wasn't fu- it wasn't suitable for future purpose. Right. So we put in a, a new strategy called Vision and Values, yeah. and as part of that strategy we decided to look for a new site and do a new built hospice. So it's a, it was about a five-year project once we'd actually decided on it. Um, and here we are today, having just opened the hospice in November of 18. So the, the old building, just to give people an idea of that, what, what was yes. it originally? Was it something that had just been turned into a hospice but had yes, a previous so purpose? Apparently, I wasn't there at the time, but apparently it had no roof on it when they originally were gifted it because right. the city council. Oh, right, okay. So it was a B-listed Georgian building. Right. Um, and that was uh, a couple of townhouses, and then the hospice went on to be gifted and purchased one uh, one townhouse gifted and then the other one purchased. So we ended up with four Georgian townhouses Right. right in the centre of Glasgow, and it was almost Glasgow's best kept secret because looking at the facade, you wouldn't think there was a hospice there right. behind it. Right. Yeah, it was great, great building. So, so how did you then go from there to this uh, incredible? I've, I've never been here before, but as soon mm-hmm. as you arrive, it's it's a, it's a wonderful architecture, and the whole feel of the place is amazing. It's very it's very modern and beautiful setting in the park as well. Yeah, so it was a, it's been an absolutely brilliant journey. Um, so what we did first of all was we, we looked for a site in Glasgow City Council. Um, come up um, with this beautiful site in Bale of Houston Park. So it was right. 7.46 acres that they gifted to us. Right. But previously that we'd looked at 32 sites. There was nothing that really suited us. And when we saw this site, we knew right away mm. this is fantastic. So we then progressed to 
um, looking for an architect and a design team. Right. Um, and there was a few unusual stories round about that and that the architect that we picked, um, who was, um, it was uh, Alistair Forbes, mm-hmm. had originally hadn't done, he'd never ever done anything healthcare. And I remember my board saying to me at the time that this was a bit of a risk, but I didn't ever think it was because I thought they were fantastic, the great practice rider, fantastic practice, great listeners, and we had great expertise here in the building. And I thought if you put those two things together, Mm. we could really create something magnificent enough. We really do feel that that's what we have created. Yeah. So it was a two-year process. It was actually an advantage maybe to have somebody who wasn't doing lots Absolutely, of work. Absolutely, because then we were going to get something that looked like a hospital or yes. a healthcare unit and we never ever wanted that. Yeah, yeah. We wanted something that was non-clinical and look and feel and would right. really help our patients and families to relax and feel right. at home. So we had about a two-year process, which apparently I realise now is quite long, right. quite yeah. a long time, um, and it was a, a consultation with patients, families, staff on all of our external stakeholders. And basically what we got was, first of all, we empowered our, our staff and our patients and families. Right. And they, they had great ownership of it um, and a great love of the building before it was even up. Mm. Um, and we were all following this vision and dream. Um, and then when it was up and built, you know, when everybody actually saw it, it was a really emotional moment because we'd all been involved and we all loved it from right. the very, very start. Oh, yeah. And I think that's fantastic. Mm. Um, if the staff are happy, then in turn the patients and families will be well cared yeah. for. And how was it funded? Um, £21 million fundraise. Um, great stories there as well. Very, very naive at the very start of that, I think. <laughs> I look back and think we were pretty naive. Um, so it was £21 million that we as a hospice in Glasgow, Glaswegians and Scots, in fact, yeah. um, locally, nationally and internationally, all fundies for this. We had no public funding at all. Right. Um, and the way we started is we, we looked all over the world actually who's done a massive capital appeal and we came across a, a lady in London that we went to see who'd done an £87 million appeal. Um, we learned a lot of lessons from her because capital appeal fundraising is not like revenue fundraising. Um, we got a great strategy in place and then on the way up in the train from London. Mm. Um, we were talking about some of the language she used and some of the things that she'd been telling us. Right. And we came up with this term that has stuck with us and we've laughed about it the whole four or five year period. We'll need to Ouija-ize this. <laughs> <laughs> it was really funny. So we called it Capital Appeal Fundraising the Ouija way. Right. And right. it's interesting because that's right. stuck and now we're getting people um, from all over the world actually really? contacting us and they understand what this term is. And that was us <laughs> basically making it our own. So we um, we knew that the two well we thought the twenty one million pound wasn't in Scotland. So what we decided to do was we would go further afield. So we mm. fundraised very successfully in London. So just to backtrack a little bit, how, how yes. did you Ouijaize it? How did we Ouijaize yeah. it? <laughs> That's interesting. Well, she talked about captains of industry. Right. Um, and we said, you know, we were thinking, what's a captain of industry? So in Glasgow, so what we said was that's just our Glasgow business guys. Um, she told us, you know, about Lord Sainsbury and the biscuit chain, and mm. we, we and the royals, and we just knew that in Glasgow that wasn't going to happen. You yeah, know that we would have to do it a different way. So basically, what we did was we actually went. We got a, a capital appeal chairman who was Charles Berry of the Weir Group, right. wonderful man, and um, he basically got a, a lot of different people on board. So we just. I think we captured the infection, right, infectiousness right. of I think yeah, the hospice, yeah. and um, basically we, we just went out and we spoke to everybody about it, and mm. we got everybody that we know in Glasgow to introduce us to people in London, who then introduced right. us to people in New York, 
and beyond and that's how we did it so right. that's how we called it we right. so we just took um, what was in our hearts really and shared it with people mm. and people came on board with right. us so it's just a fond term that we had yeah. um, it was a very challenging journey mm-hmm. there were some fantastic times and some low times but we had a lot of humour injected into that capital appeal and that's really what right. kept us going what were some of the hard points I mean were the points when you just didn't think you were going to make Make the money. Eh, no, we never thought that. Right. And that's the honest truth. Right. We, we've got a real, real gutsy team here and we've mm. got a real uh, fantastic extent. You know, our, the team across Glasgow and the people that have helped us are wonderful. Um, I learned as a child, if you're going to start something, you have to finish it. Yes. And so I would never have started this if I didn't think I had the right team to do it and it was the right, right. time to do it. But probably some of the low times were when we thought we were going to get big injections of money and big donations and then mm. they end up with, you know, it just didn't happen. Right. You have to accept in an appeal this size that not everybody can help you and we absolutely did accept that. Mm. But that didn't help, you know, it didn't stop you from being pretty sad of a morning when something fell through. Of course, yeah, yeah. Um, and the way we did that was we, we constantly returned to our strategy. It was very flexible. Right. Um, every three months we would review it and keep it going and actually yeah. just the human in the team and the fact we were determined to finish it kept everybody up. Right, so right. when I was having a low day, the team would help me, and when they yes. were having a low day, I would help right. them. And, and we were very honest about our disappointments, yeah. and very vocal about our successes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're a pretty noisy team. And did you have a... Was there a time frame for, presumably, for reaching that, that figure? And did um, you manage to do that? We didn't, we didn't give ourselves a time frame, basically, right. because we didn't want to put pressure on ourselves. Right. And we thought we maybe could do it in three to four years, yeah. and actually we did do that, but we never ever put that pressure of saying right, we're going okay. to raise twenty one million yeah, pound yeah. in a time scale. Yeah. So, but uh, and yeah. the costs of actually building a, a place mm-hmm. like this yeah. were were managed in such a way that they didn't escalate as often, so often happens with big uh, building projects. No, right. I think we were wise um, right. to pick a design and build right. uh, contract rather than a traditional one. Um, even although we were advised against it and that right. worked perfectly for us because that then means that we didn't carry the risk right. uh, and we were absolutely rigorous by the day and by the week about mm. the cost mm. of the project uh, we did value engineer it down initially to get it to where we wanted it but we don't really feel that um, we kept the quality of the project where you could see it sure. and b- yeah. basically we valued down some back of house areas that the patients sure. and families would never see Yeah, yeah. yeah. we had a, so we had a, a board called Hospice Developments Limited yep. and set up for the construction part and that was um, Jack Perry who was the previous Chief Executive of Scottish Enterprise, oh, right, another yeah, great yeah, man yeah, yeah. Um, and Jack uh, and a fantastic board helped guide us mm. through that and we had expertise on that board so I suppose one of the great messages for anyone else doing this is surround yourself with great and skilled people right, because right. you will never do this in your own and yeah, we never ever sure, thought yeah. we would yeah, 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 yeah. so it was just constantly yeah. going out to the people we knew um, with the story and, uh, right. and getting them right. to follow us. Yeah. And so, I mean, what, what are some of the things about the hospice that you're most proud of now in terms of the, you know, the building, the culture, the people, mm-hmm. etc.? I'm most proud of the team. Right. Because of their guts and determination to, to finish this. Um, I'm very pl- proud of the team and of Glasgow for producing what is a world-class hospice. I don't think there's anything else... Right. that we have seen yes. anywhere else in the world that looks like this and I just hope it'll lead the way and it'll help to ch- I think it'll help to change the care the way that we care for patients yeah. that are, and people that are terminally ill yes. um, we talk about in the hospice about uh, helping people to really live until they die 
Right. With yeah. a focus on living. Yes. Yeah. Uh, when you have an environment that, like this, we know that what it does is it helps reduce stress in that, in turn, um, reduces pain and symptoms. Right. So you right. know, it's just it's just a general feeling good. Certainly, it can be sad here at sure, times, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we just try and make everyone as happy as possible. So right. I, I think the team's the thing I'm most proud of. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm just proud of the Glaswegians and Scots that have helped us as well because right. we couldn't have done it without them. It's been yeah, a great when, journey. And when people come to visit, as I, I, I think you were saying earlier, a lot of people are yeah. very interested in what you've done here. Mm-hmm. What are the things that the most impressed them and what, what sort of questions are they asking you? Uh, one of the things that I've heard all the time, several times, is I knew this was going to be good, but I didn't know it was going to be right. this good. Right. And I'll tell them, I ask people then, because we want feedback, yeah. you know, tell me what are the parts of it you like. So when we were designing it, we Mm. were thinking all of the time of the patient um, and the family and the the stress that they've been through, you know, going through Mm. treatments and, you know, various other things in clinical areas. So we decided, first of all, because we had such a love of our last building, let's take the front door of Carrollton Place, the last building, and put it on the new one. Now, that just might seem like you're taking a front door, but basically what that was, was it was to to let people feel that there was something familiar about the new building. Mm -hmm. I have to commend the architects for putting an old battered door (laughs) onto a new building, and I was really proud of them for doing that. So we put on this front door. It's a domestic-sized front door, so the minute Mm. people come through that door, it just felt like home. Mm -hmm. The minute you put a sliding door on it, it feels a bit like an institution. Um, everything was very <coughs> staged and carefully thought out about the building and so the second thing that you would see um, was a fireplace right in front of you which also right. signifies right. home yeah. and on a cold day like this we love to have that fire yeah. on and people yeah. come in, there's nice soft seating, there's nothing clinical to see mm. Um, mm. and it just feels very very relaxing for them mm. and within about two hours of our first patients coming over they began to use all those areas and right. I knew instantly we have to learn to use this building, but it's an instant success for us right. because they just loved it. And the feedback that we've had from the patients is, um, one one man said to me recently, if this was a top-class hotel, I wouldn't be able to afford it. Right. Do you know, and right. that's really yeah, lovely yeah. feedback. It's yeah. not too grand for them to enjoy, but it's something beautiful that they can really appreciate. Right. And what, what's on your mind now, Rona, in terms of what, what, what your priorities for the hospice? Mm-hmm. Um... I think financial stability is always on yeah. my mind. Um, I think with Brexit on the horizon, sure, yeah, we yeah. don't know what that holds for yeah. us. Um, and we are very, very much dependent on individuals and businesses you know, to, mm. to help mm. us with fundraising. So that's the first thing. But I think this, the second thing is, because if basically if you don't have the financial stability, you can't do anything. But the, the second thing for me is what this building can do for our patients and families right. and how we can develop models of care. So... One of the models of care that we developed was we lowered our age um, of referral mm. to age 16 and we began to care for young people. So at the moment we've right. got 13 young people we're right. caring for. Now we could never really have done that successfully in Carrollton Place because um, the, the facilities just weren't suitable. So mm. they have um, their own den. Right. And they have yeah. their own beer fridge. Right. <laughs> <laughs> because that's what they asked us for. Mm-hmm. We don't give them that every day. Yeah. But it'll be nice in the summer when they can bring their friends in a barbecues mm-hmm. and things like that. So it's a very, very age, um, I suppose, age-friendly environment. Right. And, and yeah. that, uh, that's really exciting for us moving yeah. forward about yeah. what we can do with that. We've also got all these beautiful grounds yeah. that we never had before. We had right. one acre of land before. Mm-hmm. 
um, and we can do a lot with that. Right. And it's about giving something back to the community as well. You know, we had a fantastic Christmas fair. All right. Um, yeah. And you can see here that we've got a, a beautiful wee both in with Santa mm. in that at Christmas. So right. it's not just about our patients and families, it's also about the communities that right. we serve that help us. Yes. So it's about giving something yeah. back. Right. So it's really... It's almost just the start for us. Although right. we're, right. you know, yeah. we're that age. It's yeah. almost just the start of being able to do wonderful things yeah. because of this environment that we're in. It is an amazing environment. And let's go back to another environment now, which is yeah. back to, I mean, where, where, where did you grow up and what was your kind of fam family background and what, what did you want to do when you were growing up and, and planning to leave school? Um, I don't think, I don't remember having any particular ambition. I, I was brought up in East Bride, right. um two very, very supportive parents right. and I've, I had two foster brothers, right. Leslie and David. Um, very, very, I think, unremarkable. Yes. upbringing, unremarkable education, didn't really like school, <laughs> to be honest, uh, and I left school at 16 with really not a lot of qualifications mm. um, and went to work in Bank of Scotland, um, and no harm to Bank of Scotland, but I really <laughs> did not like banking. To this day, I understand figures, but I don't like them, Right. right. particularly it bores me, if I'm going to be honest. Right. But obviously, so what, what were you doing? Just, just working on the desk in a bank? Yeah, it was just, yeah. I was doing, yeah, they just take, yeah. train you in right. all the different areas in the bank. So anyway, right. that lasted a year. And then I made this quite radical decision and I went and worked in the local chip shop in East Kilbride <laughs> and my parents were absolutely horrified. Really? Yeah. Really horrified. Yeah. And why had I done this? But mm. I think, looking back, and I see this in my own daughter and son, I was very determined just mm. to do what I wanted to do. Mm. So I went to do that for two years and nothing's ever wasted, is it? I learned very, very well. I've got great mental arithmetic skills and that's right. how I can manage a budget very well. Yeah, yeah, I don't always yeah. need a spreadsheet. Mm. Um, I've got a great pension from that job to this day really? and I made great yeah. friendships. I yeah. also met my husband right. at that job. Um, so nothing's ever wasted, but I decided mm. after about two years there, I think I'll be a nurse. And I remember my parents saying to me, you'll never be a nurse because you're too untidy. <laughs> so, which was interesting. So that's Did that motivate you even more to... to Absolutely, because yeah, I'm, yeah. right. yeah, I'm quite determined. Mm. If you tell me I'm not going to do it, I definitely mm. will do it. So uh, I went on to nurse and I immediately found my niche. So I started right. off as a hands-on enrolled nurse right. um, because I didn't have the qualifications at that point to be a staff nurse. Um, I then went on, um, took further qualifications, became a staff nurse... Mm. Um, in Glasgow, mm -hmm. and then went on to Canada and right. became a Canadian registered nurse. Right. Uh, and why worked, why worked did you go over Canada. there? What was the, well, the I've got family that? over there. All right, okay. um, and I suppose when I was in Canada, I had a great experience there because the, the clinical and care in the community there was not as good as it was in the UK. Right. And I came back with this absolute passion, having had some experience of people dying badly in community. Right, right. Uh, I got this passion then for palliative and cancer care. Yeah. So that's when I come back. So was that uh, you over in T Toronto? Was it? I was in Toronto yeah, working yeah, there. Yeah. yeah, so it was really, really great. Right. Learned a lot there. Um, built me quite a lot of backbone, I think. Some right. of just the situations that I was in, some of the things that I, I was exposed to that I probably wouldn't have been here. Mm -hmm. And then I come back and went to university twice right. <laughs> uh, and, started, and did two degrees because I then had made up my mind I want to be a Macmillan nurse. Right. Which right. I never actually was. <laughs> <laughs> but I had similar type jobs, uh, and that really started me on my, I suppose I was a senior nurse then in cancer and palliative care, and I mm. absolutely loved that. Also was a district nurse in East End of Glasgow. Right. 
What is, so what is it about those roles that you, you enjoy and feel, feel so at home in? Um, I, I love home. I love keeping people at home if that's where they want to be. Right. I really yeah. think it's, it's the best place for people yeah. if that's their choice. And I've always loved the relationships. You can make really close relationships mm, mm. with people when you're in their own home. And just walking away from homes very, very often and thinking that you'd made a difference right. to people. Yeah. You maybe couldn't you know, help the inevitable or stop the inevitable, but, but actually you could make them more comfortable and mm. form really good relationships. And to this day, I would say that my probably my district nurse job in East End of Glasgow was one of the, the, really? the most loved, the right. best I've ever had. Yeah, yeah. Uh, people were the salt of the earth, mm. and, and I just absolutely adored that right. job. Yeah. So, yeah... Uh, being a nurse has always been in my heart. Yes. Uh, and I've just recently not renewed my registration. Oh, really? Right. <laughs> and it right. broke my heart, right. but actually right. I just couldn't keep it going mm. any longer because I'm not sure. practising clinically. Right. But, uh, right. I had a great nursing career. So why, why did you move away from that into now a CEO role, mm-hmm. even though you're still in the kind of healthcare? Well, I, 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 I suppose I was very encouraged by a lot of senior people. As, you know, there's been mm. people in my career that I've really looked up to and have really helped me. Um, and one of those people, her name is Mary Mutter, and I was in a job um, in East Kilbride uh, working in community, and she said to me, you need to go and work for the Scottish Government. They're asking for people to be seconded. Mm. And I did do that and became a national facilitator looking at what was the 62-day cancer target at that point. Right. Um, and I really, really learned a lot from that job. Right. Um, I learned about redesigning healthcare models, and I had a real interest in that, and I suppose then that got me away from the hands-on clinical care. And while I was doing that job, I met the chief exec of the Prince and Princess of Wales Hospice. And he asked me to come and do some work for him, and I never left. Oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'd never planned to go away from clinical. Mm. I'd always planned to be in a senior nurse, Mm. you know. Mm. I would have probably been like to be the lead nurse for Scotland or some, you know, a post like that. Mm. Um, But anyway, I got an opportunity to... uh, be the chief exec for an interim period and I absolutely loved it because I absolutely love the business side of it and the networking Um, but it's my ideal job because I can still see the patients and families Mm, every day mm, it's it's been a really really good career move for me and working with the best team I've ever worked with Right. so did did you quite quickly realise that the hospice was the place you wanted to spend now 13 years with yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, the longest job I've been in before that is six right. years. All right, fine. So I've done quite a few projects because mm. um, I think I need to be stimulated all the time. Right, and right. motivated and to you know to be, uh, I suppose the service redesign that we've done here in the hospice, both with the build and with the models of care, has right. been has been perfect for me. I've really enjoyed that, and we'll continue to do that. We've got so great opportunities. Like be stretched and have new challenges all the time. Absolutely. Easily, easily bored. Yeah, and yeah. I do like. To think that the hospice leads away. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So the, the the young Rona sitting bored out of a skull in the, in the Bank <laughs> of Scotland, would she yeah. ever have imagined? Because it's a very you know, unusual yeah. path you've taken, is it? Via the chip shop. Mm-hmm. Um, no, what I mean, would she? What did she think she was going to do? Would you? Was she going to just? I think she stay in the chip shop for for several years. I or? think when I was in the chip shop, I didn't even think ahead, and then all of a sudden, it's a light bulb right. moment. You know, this has been really enjoyable. I've learned a lot. I've worked with nice people, but I need to be doing something as a career. 
and I need to get myself educated. Mm. So I didn't do my first degree till I was thirty two. Right. right. Um, and by then I had two small children. Right. So there was a, it was a big juggling act, and mm. I always said to my own two children, you "Do it young because it's easier," and they both right. have done that. Right. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think as soon as I went into nursing, I knew I'd found my niche then, and I thought, you know, I was very ambitious to be a senior nurse, but I never ever thought I'd be chief exec of a hospice and actually be as interested in the business side of it as I am right, the clinical side. Right. I never thought that. So it's right. been a, a bit of a revelation mm. to me and I think to my family as well. Right. And I often wish my parents were here to see it. Right, right. <laughs> After telling me that I couldn't be a nurse. <laughs> because I was too untidy. <laughs> and I'm the tidiest person ever now. <laughs> I mean, do you think that because you've got a taste for the business side of things, that I, I know you wouldn't want to leave here, but does it now intrigue you what the CEO role at, say, the Bank of Scotland is, you know, that kind of thing? <laughs> or is, is that just, does that seem like a different kettle of fish altogether? I'm, I'm very, very interested in business. I'm still not interested yeah. in banking, I have to say. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've just become a, a director in the council of the Chamber of Glasgow Chamber oh, right, of Commerce. Right, right. Uh, I think it's... I'm a great advocate for um, for charities and for what they put back into society. And I think sometimes mm. um, the third sector chief execs are overlooked. Right. In some yeah. ways, yeah. Are, you know, the f- people think it's a lesser job and it's actually yeah. not. It's quite a challenging role. Right. Um, and I think I could easily fit into a business role now and would absolutely and thoroughly enjoy it. Right. right. But I've still got quite a bit of work to do here. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. So I've kind of... Uh, the patients and families are always my focus, mm. but I've, I think I've probably moved a wee bit away from the clinical side and, you know, the financial stability of the hospice and moving forward and how we can have new commercial right. interests is of great interest to me too. Right. And, and when you're not, you're not here, what, how do you, what do you get up to? Your children are grown up now, they've yeah, so left, left the nest. Robin's 28, my daughter, right. she's right. been married this year and oh, I've right. got a son... Right. Fraser, who's 25, right. so very good name, Fraser. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> great name. Uh, what do I do? Great animal lover. Really? Animal yeah. mad. Because uh, um, there, there are, I believe, uh, three fox cubs just outside here in the garden <laughs> yeah. that you've been keeping tabs on. Yeah, we've got three fox cubs right outside my window. I've got the most fantastic view, <laughs> and yeah, I'm very, very right. interested in anything to do with animals. We all are actually in the team. Hmm. Um, and I... Uh, I've been doing weightlifting since I was oh, really? 21 years old, really? so I'm at the gym quite a lot wow. and I quite like to walk right. uh, and just be with my family. Cook. That always looks so painful when you see it on TV. No, when well, they... I don't do it to that <laughs> level. I don't think this is just for a level of fitness. No, I love it. I right. love it. It's right. very, I think it's great to reduce your stress levels. Right. So right. I like to do that, but mm. just generally uh, spend time with my family. Right. Right. Cook, drink wine, yes. listen to music. Good stuff. <laughs> yeah, all normal yeah, things, yeah. yeah. You need that. Well, thanks so much, Rona. It's been it's, it's fascinating so to, to find out about the hospice. I know you're always keen to to get funds in. Yeah. Do you, would you like to, to wind up with a message about that? What we've said to Glasgow and beyond to everybody that's helped us is you've helped us to build this hospice, but actually we need to keep the doors open, and this is um, only the start, um, I suppose, of a, a, a quite challenging journey going forward yeah. to keep us financially stable. But actually, we've given um, Glasgow a really, really beautiful hospice for you know for patients and families and communities. And if everyone could just stay on the, the journey with us, that would be perfect. Brilliant. Perfect. Rona Bailey, thank you very much. Thank you very much. What a great story from Rona. I got so enthusiastic listening to her that listening back to her, I kept saying, yeah, yeah, right, right, all the time over Rona, which, uh, which is rather annoying of me. So uh, I'll learn from that.
Better not do that next time, Fraser. Anyway, thanks very much for listening and we'll be back in a fortnight. To find out more about the Scottish Business Network, simply visit sbn.scot.